Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 on page 1010 in the Black Pew Bible. We're continuing to work our way through this book. The Old Testament promises Jesus by, uh, well, promises and prophecies and pictures. And Christmas celebrates the fulfillment of uh, what God has promised. And, and in the book of Hebrews, the most Jewish of works uh, written uh, for new Jewish believers uh, to understand their Old Testament and how it shows us Jesus, uh, the language is the language of the Old Testament understood to be fulfilled in Christ. Here in chapter 13, the writer uses the language of the Old Testament as well, this time to explain not just Christ, but the Christian life. So we saw last week at verse 10, he speaks of an altar. He says, we have an altar. But what he means is we have the altar of the cross. Here in the passage before us in verses 15 and 16, he's going to speak of sacrifices. He says, we make sacrifices. That's temple language. So in light of who Jesus is and in light of what Jesus has done, what should we do? The writer says we should make sacrifices. Let me invite you to consider those sacrifices this morning from Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16. This is the word of God. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Amen. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade because the breath of the Lord blows on them. And we are but grass. But, but the word of God stands forever. Grant that it would stand forever in our hearts. Grant that it would do us good as we hear it. So be our teacher. And give us life in Christ. Through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to see three things in the passage before us. In verse 15, he speaks of the sacrifice of our lips. You heard that language when he says we, to bring the sacrifice of praise or the fruit of lips. At verse 16, he speaks of the sacrifice of our lives. You heard that when he says do good and share what you have. He's speaking of the way that we live. But first, before we look at either of those, and we'll do those in turn, consider them together. So that's actually the first point. Consider them together. Because of Jesus, Christians offer sacrifices both in lip and in life. Verses 15 and 16. Our sacrifices, he said, are worship and work. They are singing and sharing. They are doxology and doing good. Both together. And this is to be a response to believing. This is the response that believing in Jesus creates. Um, James 
Michener, fictional writer, books filled with all kinds of historical, cultural uh, detail, uh, in his book, The Source, tells the story of a man named Herbal, who was a farmer living 2,200 years before Jesus. He worshipped two gods, he says. One, god of death, the other, a goddess of fertility. One day, the temple priest tell Herbal to bring his young son to the temple for sacrifice if he wants good crops. Herbal obeys, and on the appointed day, he drags his wife and his boy to the scene of the boy's religious execution by fire to the god of death. After the sacrifice of Herbal's boy and several others, the priest announced that one of the fathers will spend the next week in the temple with the new temple prostitute. Herbal's wife is stunned as she notices a desire written more intensely across his face than she had seen before. And she is overwhelmed to see him eagerly lunge forward as his name is called by the priests. And so the ceremony being over, she walks out of the temple with her head swimming, concluding that, quote, if he had different gods, he would have been a different man. Do you hear Michener's lesson in that? You become like what you worship. If he had different gods, he would have been a different man. Worship a god of death and say yes when your priest says kill your baby. Worship a goddess of fertility and you eagerly sow your seed with a temple prostitute. The God you have shapes the life that you live. What happens when your God is Jesus? The writer here says this is what happens. Your lips speak his praise, verse 15, and your life reflects his generosity, verse 16. Praise is what happens when you admire Jesus. Sharing what you have is what happens when you've received his generosity. Have you then beheld the beauty of the glory of the Lord? And have you benefited by him in a way that has changed your life? That's what this whole book is about. Behold the beauty of the glory of the Lord. Chapter 1. He's better than the angels. They are but his creatures and he is their creator. And why did he make them? He made them to serve for the sake of those who inherit eternal life. He made them to serve you. Chapter 2, because God's children are flesh and blood, and because of the fall into sin, we're subject to death and the devil and the wrath of God. And so God took our flesh that through death he might destroy the devil, deliver us from death, and divert the wrath of God away from us. Jesus is better than Moses, chapter 3. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. Jesus is faithful as a son over God's house. He's the builder of the whole thing. Jesus is better than Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua, the Old Testament Joshua, led God's people into an earthly promised land, but Jesus leads us into the true, heavenly, eternal promised rest. Jesus is better than Aaron and the Levites. Chapter 5, 
Those Old Testament priests were weak and they were frail and they were fallible men. But he is our great high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled. He continues forever by the power of an indestructible life and he always lives to intercede for you. He is always looking out for you. He is always ministering from God's throne. God's blessing. He's a better sacrifice, chapter 7 through 10. Those Old Testament priests in that Old Testament temple, what did they do? They offered sacrifices that needed to be constantly repeated because the blood of a bull and a goat cannot take away sin. But by contrast, Jesus, with a single offering of himself, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's better. He's the better priest, the better sacrifice. He's the better temple where God and man meet. And so through him, what do we have? How do we benefit? We have the forgiveness of sins. We have access to the throne room of God. We have the promise of life everlasting. What happens then when you gaze at the superiority and self-giving of this God? You adore him and you share Because of his sacrifice, we sacrifice, the writer says. Our sacrifices follow his. By his, we are forgiven. By his, we have these things. We don't worship him. We don't do works for him to gain salvation, but because he's given it to us. But these sacrifices go together. You know people that are all lit but no life, all words but no Works. All they do is speak about Jesus, but they don't ever really seem to serve Jesus. And the writer says it's not supposed to be one without the other. The most jarring hypocrisy of this that I've seen in my own experience, in my own life firsthand, in the life of another person, was the week that a school teacher and basketball coach, a member of the church I was part of in another state, you don't know him was arrested by the police the Sunday prior to his arrest he had persuaded the choir director to let him sing a solo in the church which was almost never done and uh, he sang it it was recorded this whole service was and it was played as the service was week by week played on tv the next week they didn't live stream in those days well the song that he sang was I surrender all. And it was a kind of boast of all he had given to serve Jesus. And in between his performance of it on Sunday and the broadcast of it the following Sunday, he was arrested as a pedophile. He was accused by dozens. He eventually went to prison on at least 19 charges. I have kept a VHS tape recording of that event ever since cued to when he sings that song. I don't think I've ever watched it. But I've kept it as a constant reminder to me against hypocrisy. A kind of warning of how we may deceive ourselves and deceive others, though we never deceive God. 
Now listen, that's a kind of dramatic example of lips and life which are in dramatic contradiction. But it is true to say that we all fall down in some ways. Every Christian knows uh, that their life on earth never perfectly matches their profession. We never live up to the ideal we profess. We long as believers for the perfection of the holiness of heaven because we want congruity with what we say we believe and those realities in our life. But the Lord does know when our hearts are genuine and sincere. He knows these things. Have you beheld the glory of the Lord in such a way that you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another? It will show. Lips without life is just pure hypocrisy. And so the writer here, even in the way that he commands these things, places them side by side. Now look in greater detail then, first with lips, verse 15, notice what he says. Through him, that is through Jesus, that let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God. He likens us to priests bringing an offering, not of atonement, but of admiration. Not a sacrifice for purification, but one of praise. Why? Verses 11 and 12. We looked at this last week. Uh, When he described Jesus, he says the bodies of those animals, that is those Old Testament sacrifices, those The bodies uh, of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin. Those bodies are burned outside of the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify his people through his blood. In other words, in those sin offerings, the blood was brought into the tent to show that a death had occurred. A life had been taken as the judgment for sin in the place of a sinner. It was a substitute. And the body was taken outside the camp to the place of burning, the place of excommunication, the place of rejection. So Jesus suffered outside the camp, outside the gate. He goes out, we said, so that, he, so that we in him can come in. He was punished so that we can be pardoned. He became unclean. So that we can be holy. He was excluded so that we can be included. And we offer, then the writer says, let us then continually offer praise. A sacrifice of praise as the fruit of lips which confess his name. One of you has a mother uh, you have prayed for since 1997. Uh, We heard a prayer request for her just this morning. Prayed for her and for her salvation for the last 20 years. And here it is, 2017, praying for her faith to be real. And now there's something new going on in her life. Something very hopeful happening. And what is it? From her lips comes the acknowledgement of Jesus. Admiration of Jesus. Speaking of the need 
for Jesus. Admiring the grace of Jesus. And, and not just in a church building as, as we sit here, as she has sat here or elsewhere, but as she's walking through life, even, even cancer. The lips reveal the heart here. And notice he says that we are to offer sacrifice of praise continually. It's uh, great to get together Lord's Day by Lord's Day, Sunday by Sunday. We encourage one another to worship God. We help one another in worshiping God. We need one another and that encouragement. Absolutely, but praise isn't only for Sunday. It is for Monday through Saturday. And one of the evidences that we are a genuine Christian is that we're not just a pew sitter and we're not just a Sunday singer. Now, I know some of you don't have the most beautiful voices, but you can make, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you do that day in and day out? Notice that phrase, through him we offer a sacrifice of praise. This is emphatic. He is our great priest and we come to God and we offer praise to God. Through him, not through some other, not through the old way of the Old Testament priests, not through some other way, either by angels or Mary or saints, not through ourselves as if we are worthy to come before the Lord and confess his name, but through him. He's the mediator between God and man, which means that all that God blesses us with passes, so to speak, through Jesus And all that we return to God passes through, so to speak, through Jesus. He presents us faultless before God's glory. And that's good news for you and I whose praise is so imperfect, weak, and on Monday morning, cold-hearted. Some of us wonder if it matters at all. If we praise him because of the imperfection of our praise. Does he care? Is he listening? Does he hear it? Does it please him? Listen, you don't have to be perfect in your praise of God. Jesus makes it better than it is. You can bring your heart in all its weakness, all its failures and coldness and call upon his name and be helped by him who does not turn away from you, who is a sympathetic priest for the weakness of man. And so you can be honest. You can even say, Lord, help me. I'm terrible at praising you. We're about to sing, Lord, With glowing heart, I'd praise thee. I would, Lord, with glowing heart, I would praise thee for the bliss thy love bestows, for the pardoning grace that saves me and the peace that from it flows. Help, O God, my weak endeavor, this dull soul to rapture raise. Thou must light the flame or never can my love be warmed to praise. The irony of uh, this is that the one to whom you are weak in praise is the very source of your help in praising. C.S. Lewis has some nice words about praise. Uh, when he says the obvious fact about praise, whether uh, of God or anything, he 
confesses, strangely escaped me. I, I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had not noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless, sometimes even if, shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought uh, in to check it. In other words, what he's saying, praise isn't simply complimenting, uh, but the enjoyment that spontaneously overflows. He goes on to say, the world rings with praise. Readers praising their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. I had not noticed, he says, how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole, Lewis goes on, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the extremely valuable or supremely valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think he concludes here, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Listen, if you esteem Jesus, if you enjoy what he has done for you, there will be an overflow of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now you might be sitting here saying, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't worship him. I don't worship anything. And I would say to you, yes, you do. You most certainly do. Didn't you hear what Lewis said? Everybody worships something or someone. Everybody values something or someone. Commends to others something or someone. That, whatever it is, is a form of worship. And why is this? Because you and I are by nature made as worshipers. We are from the beginning, by the way that God designed us, designed to value and treasure something outside of ourselves. And the sad fact is that we value and treasure the creature and the creation more than the creator. And we are idolaters at heart. Until the true and living God changes the heart and restores to us what we were designed to be. And so I ask you, do your lips from the heart sing in praise of this Jesus? It's what you're made and redeemed for.
Peter puts it this way, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Does your mouth proclaim that? And then he turns from lips, he turns to life. And we should consider our lives. Verse 16, do not, he says, neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Share what you have. The sincerity of your love for God will be shown by practical concern for the needs of others and the willingness to be involved in helping to meet those needs. You aren't asked To share what you do not have? Listen, are you one of those people who always says to themselves, when I have more, then I will give? When I get a raise, then I'll start sharing. I call baloney on you. If you aren't giving now, you aren't going to give when you get more. It's not in your heart. And how do I know? Because you're proving it by not giving now. Having more is only going to want to make you to hold on to more or spend it on yourself. If you aren't learning now how to give, sharing is a sacrifice produced by the gospel. He who has freely received freely gives. Because the experience of God's grace and his generosity produces a life of gratitude that overflows. Now look, I am not trying to drum up money for ministry or for the payment of building expenses here. That is not what this is about. If you don't ever give a drop in support of the gospel here, God will raise up people to do so, to accomplish whatever work it is he wants to see done. You, however, will miss out on the joy of being interested in the work of God, and it will be because your heart doesn't appreciate the generosity of the grace we have in Jesus by the self-sacrifice of God's Son. And I am interested in your heart. But one of the ways to know what's in your heart is to look at your pocketbook, to check your wallet. If you aren't generous, could it be that you don't think God has been generous to you? I've told you the story before, I think, some of you, about um, Letourneau University in Texas. My father-in-law went there for a time, R.G. Letourneau. And his wife, Evelyn, chose to give away 90% of their wealth and live on 10%. He started out from very humble beginnings and with a seventh grade education, actually taught himself engineering. He eventually built a manufacturing empire. His earth-moving machines helped to win World War II and to construct the highway infrastructure of modern America. By the end of his life, he held more than 300 patents. The decision to give away 90% of his personal income and stock in his company was the result of a previous decision made when he was 30 years old, deeply in debt, 
a decision to make God his business partner, so to speak. He, he was chastised by a missionary sister to get serious about serving God. And he got confused, like some do. He mistakenly believed that sincere devotion to God would mean that he would have to be a preacher or an evangelist or a missionary. And then he attended a revival meeting at his church, and, and he gave in, thinking to himself, okay, that's, I'll go, I'll go to the mission field. And then he sought guidance from his pastor, And after praying together, his pastor said, you know, Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. And so he responded, all right, if that's what God wants me to be, I'll try to be his businessman. And so he often said this, the question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. Listen, I would just say to all of us, we, you, may not be able to live on 10% and give away 90 ever in this life. But you and I could start by flipping those numbers and aiming over the course of years to increase what's in our heart. It's not just about the money you give. Sometimes it's the money you give up. Corey Ten Boom tells a story about the example set by her father. He was a godly but poor shopkeeper. One morning, their family had gathered for prayer, asking God to send them a customer to buy a watch so he could pay bills that had come due. A customer did come, picking out a quite expensive watch, casually remarking that he had, um, as he paid for it, that, that another merchant had sold him a defective watch. Watch. So Casper, Corey's father, asked to examine that watch, pointed out that only a minor repair was needed, assuring the man that he had been sold a fine quality watch by the other merchant. Corey's father refunded the money as the man returned the watch he had intended to buy to keep the watch that was now repaired. And little Corey Tenboom asked, Papa, why did you do that? Aren't you worried about the bills you have due? And her father replied, There is blessed and unblessed money, adding that God would not be honored if he allowed another man's reputation to be wrongly harmed, especially since the other merchant was himself a believer. And he assured the little girl that God would provide. And just days later, a man came in and bought a very expensive watch, the sale of which not only paid their bills, but funded Corey Tenboom's education for two years. It is God we serve when we minister to others and put their well-being ahead of our own financial gain. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Father who delights when his children share the family likeness. Don't neglect to do good. Opportunities abound. Have you quit looking for them? Don't neglect it, he says. You've done it in the past, perhaps. Don't overlook it. Keep doing it. God did not neglect to do good to you. 
He did not neglect to share what he had with you. He gave himself. And when you realize then how little like him you are, just remember the sacrifice he made was for sins and he remembers your sins no more. Isn't that admirable? Then speak of it. And isn't that generous? Then share what you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you spared not your own son, but gave him up for us all. How uh, should we not also along with him graciously receive all things? You're a generous, open-handed, giving, self-sacrificing God. Uh, We would uh, praise you more and more. Show us your glory. And we ask that you would transform us and make us more like yourself. Pardon our failures in that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and let's sing.